I titled this morning's message, Living as Citizens of Heaven. When an ambassador is sent to another country, he represents the country from which he's sent. So when we send an American ambassador to another country, we don't expect them to live like the citizens and and to fit in with the the culture and everything else of that nation. What we expect them to be is an ambassador taking our ideals, our ideas, and being a representative of who we are. Now, if I go as a private citizen and move to another country, then I have the responsibility of trying to understand and adapt to their cultures, right? But an ambassador is representing the country from which they come. Therefore, they are to still be following their own customs, if you will. And sometimes this creates conflict, does it not? You know, many ambassadors from other countries, because their countries do it so differently than us, uh, do things that we're, we either consider rude or crude or maybe even illegal, hence the reason why they get diplomatic immunity, because, yeah, it's not illegal in our country, you know, type stuff. And, of course, they all abuse that with parking privileges and things of that nature. But Second Corinthians 5.20 says that we are ambassadors, right? When, Enid, you went to Ambassador Baptist College for a little while, you quoted Second Corinthians 5.20 more than once, I sure you did. But now then we are ambassadors for Christ. Means we are citizens of heaven. We need to be reminded of that. While going this camping trip, the earth upon which God placed us is a beautiful place. But this isn't home. After the 3.7 mile hike, I'm glad this isn't home. And this was the easy hike, so he says. We're going to have fun. So he's, I picked on Andrew a lot. <laughs> Honestly, he, he did a great job. He's the one that set up the whole uh, camping trip for the men, and it, he did a real good job setting it up. But we are citizens of heaven. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us we're sitting together in heavenly places. Think of that. We're sitting together in heavenly places. You know why? Because if you are a born-again child of God, you're guaranteed you're going to be in heaven. It's as good as though you're there. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad that we understand we're still pilgrims and strangers in this world. We're not there yet. And so all the aches and pains and all the things that we don't like about this are going to change someday when we finally are there. But we need to rep- represent heaven to this world. All of eternity and eternity with Christ awaits for us. Isn't that amazing? So therefore, we need to allow him to live through us now. For our life is not our own, but we are bought with a price. Just as an ambassador has guidelines that he must follow, so do we as ambassadors of heaven. Paul exhorts the Philippians in this passage, and I want us to notice a few things here as we study. In Philippians chapter 1, starting at verse 25, and we're going to go to the end of the chapter. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit and one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in nothing be terrified by your adversaries, which are 
which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. So here's what I want us to examine this morning. First, I want us to see the contentment of the Christian in verses 25 and 26. The contentment of the Christian. Then we'll observe the conversation of the Christian in verse 27. And then in the rest of the passage, we'll notice the conflict of the Christian. Again, we need to be reminded this world is not our home. We're citizens of heaven and we're just passing through. Father, I pray as we examine these these few verses this morning, again, you give wisdom and understanding and Lord, that we'd be able to take these truths of your word and apply them to our hearts and lives. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus name. Amen. But let's look first at the contentment of the Christian. Paul was confident that God was still in control. You and I need to learn to be content. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We live in a society that does not content. Everybody wants a little bit more. Something's always not right. Now, while we joked about on this camping trip we just took, while it did rain Friday afternoon, and when I said you want to look for the high ground on your tent, Some of us saw a row of trees and thought, and it looked like it just continued to slope down into the woods. And so we thought that's a great place to put your tent because if it rains, you got a little bit of cover above you. So that's where we set up our tents. Well, what looked like it sloped down behind it was not. And so when it rained, that ended up being the low ground and the one guy's tent was under about eight inches of water. I am thankful my tent held up and was not water on the inside, just on the outside. So when the water subsided, we moved our tents to the high ground. And we were able to get it cleaned up. So there wasn't a lot of griping about that. But, you know, we were going to play some games in the afternoon, and that wasn't able to happen. And some were kind of discouraged, you know, oh, it rained, and we weren't able to do what we wanted to. And others reminded, though, but we had great time of fellowship sitting there talking together and being an encouragement to one another as men. See, you can either be discouraged by what happens or just be content that this is what God gave us today and be happy with it. I was very happy because the weather was in the 60s and 70s and very low humidity. I almost didn't look forward to coming back, but at least the 90-some degrees with 100% humidity, at least it hasn't been that yet. Now it will, so I said it, right? But Paul says... We are to be content. Look again, verse 26, 25, rather. And I have this confidence. I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith. Again, the word abide is the word we looked at before of abiding, the Greek word meno, or to remain or dwell. So don't be eager to move from where God has placed you. He says, I'm here and I am have a confidence that I'm going to abide and continue with you for your furtherance, of, uh, your furtherance and joy of faith. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11, Not that I speak in respect to want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. 
Now, he didn't mean whether I'm in the state of New Jersey or the state of North Carolina, I'm content, although we should be. But he said, no matter what the conditions are, whether I'm in a jail, whether I'm free, whether I'm shipwrecked, whether I'm full, whether I'm hungry, Paul says, no matter what state I'm in, I can be content. And Christian, this is something every one of us needs to continue to work on. Be content where God has you today. But it's interesting that Paul's focus still was not on himself, but on others. I have this confidence that I, I, I know I shall abide and continue for, for all your furtherance and joy of faith. You see, his life was still focused on helping others. The word furtherance has the idea of advancement. He focused, he, Paul, focused on helping other believers grow. He wasn't, I mean, he was concerned about his walk with Christ, yes, but he wasn't concerned about making Paul rich or making Paul famous. He was concerned about how can I help my brothers and sisters in Christ grow in Christ. Friends, if we would focus not so much on ourselves, if we would approach a service, not what can I get out of the service today, but how can I be a blessing to somebody else today, you will always leave here uh, being blessed. Because there's always a blessing in serving others. But here is how many people approach church today. What do I get out of it? Now, I understand when families ask this, but many times when families come here, the questions go like this. What programs do you offer? Well, what do you have for the children? And I understand some parents are truly looking for age-appropriate curriculum for their, student, or for their children. Other parents are looking for, my child never behaves, and so why should I have them sitting next to me in a service? From a very early age, I remember, now, yes, we did have children's Sunday school, but it seems to me, and I could be wrong, but many of the churches when I was a boy didn't have junior church. I think it's a relatively new phenomenon. I haven't actually studied when it started, but I remember as a boy, you know where I was? Sitting next to dad. And so it was dad, then it was mom, then it was my older brother, then it was me, and Dad expected me to sit there and listen to the pastor preaching. Very strange concept, right? And when I would do something wrong, Dad had this go-go gadget extendo arm that went behind Mom, behind Dad, and thump on the back of the head, right? And, or he would lean forward and look over at me. Or he would lean forward, look over at me, and say, come with me. That's when it was really getting bad. <laughs> And we would go outside, and we would have a business meeting, and he would apply the Board of Education to the seat of learning, and then I would come back in, and I would realize I better sit up and pay attention. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I find too many parents who make excuses why their children won't behave. How about we teach them? I'm not saying I'm against a junior church, but let me tell you something. Sitting in services... A good pastor has learned to try to keep the cookies on the bottom shelf. In other words, there should be something for everybody. Now, did I get everything the pastor was saying? No. But did I get some of it? Yes, I did. So 
We even have out there children's sermon notes that they can count how many times I say certain words or how many they can draw a picture of what pastor's saying or they can try to get the main idea. Listen, if they get one principle out of it, that's great, is it not? Because honestly, okay, you know, we always think our children can't learn. All right, what did I preach on last Sunday? All right, you get the point. And I didn't expect you to remember every detail, but here's the thing. When our kids don't remember, we're like, well, see, they just don't get anything out of it. Well, call 50% of the preachers tomorrow and ask them what they preached today. And they're going to be like, um, give me a minute. Uh, give me a minute. <laughs> All right. And I'm going to be honest. There have been some Mondays, if you were to call me and say, what did you preach yesterday? I'd be like, the Bible. But our lives should be a pattern that other lives can use as an example. My mother used to do a lot of sewing. I think I told you this before. This is going to explain a lot. My mom did not own a dress form. She had two boys. And there was times when I'd be standing there. Really, mother? But when she would go to, to make clothing, and no, I was not the proper size for all of them, so I didn't, whatever. Anyhow, they had those little funny paper, that brown paper. And she would take the paper and cut it out and, you know, the way you lay it out on the fabric matters. Because just like wood has a grain, I guess the fabric has a, a grain or a pattern or whatever. So they had to turn it all these different directions. And then she would cut it out. And then she would sew it together. And then she would trim it. But the pattern, as long as she was following the pattern, the clothes would come out right. So you and I are to be that pattern that somebody can use to be an example to live their lives. Now, we should never say, follow me blindly. It should be, follow me as I follow Christ. Let me be the example for you to follow. And that's what Paul is saying. He says, I am here to continue to be that pattern. And then he also says, and joy of faith. Our faith should bring joy. I do not understand the Christian that's constantly down, that's constantly depressed, that constantly has joy. Actually, I do understand. They're what we call carnal Christians. And carnal Christians are the most miserable people on this earth. The lost have a, not a true joy, but they have a, that pleasure in sin for a season, Right? The spiritual man has a true joy no matter what happens because he's walking with Christ. But the miserable Christian is walking in carnality because they're still living like the world, but they know they're supposed to be serving God. Ed mentioned earlier about a man named Will who's a young Christian. And while Will has a lot of growing to do, he asked me some very specific things and I was trying to help him with some issues and and different things in life, showing them what the scriptures have to say about it. Okay, so if you were to look at him, here's what many Christians would say. Oh, he's carnal because of some of the things he does. No, he's a young Christian who hasn't learned yet, but I can tell he's spiritual in his development. And you know how I could tell? Because he had joy, right? You see, we can't judge their spirituality by 
what they know or what they're doing, but you can tell Christian spirituality by their joy because a spiritual Christian is going to have joy. That's what Paul is saying here. And the joy of your faith. Your faith should bring joy. Our rejoicing must be in Christ. We can have an abundant or an abounding joy. We can rejoice in God's working in others. When others share a testimony of great things God has done for them, do we get jealous or do we rejoice? Do we say, praise God, he's working in your life. Thank God for what he's doing for you. So first we see the contentment of the Christian. And then verse 20, 26, he says that your rejoicing may be more abundant in, in Jesus Christ for me and for my coming to you again. He says there should be joy and we can, we're going to have rejoicing together when I come to you again. But then number two, the conversation of the Christian. Only let your conversation as becometh the gospel of Christ. Conversation has the manner of life or our lifestyle. Let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel. This is an imperative. This is a command. We need to have a life worthy of the gospel. Now, I am not worthy of the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. I am not worthy of salvation, am I? But I need to try to live a life that is bringing honor to Christ. I am to live as a citizen of heaven. Because when I get to heaven, I'm going to, this corruptible is going to put on, or this, uh, yeah, corruptible is going to put on incorruption, right? This mortal is going to put on immortality. I should strive for that today. Now, we are not going to reach sinless perfection in this life. But it doesn't mean we stop striving to be more Christ-like every day. I should be living now what I'll be living then to the best of my ability. I heard one preacher say it this way. As we talk about our sanctification growing more and more Christ-like, he said, what we were before we were saved and what we are at the time we should die, he said there should be this great change that when we are either raptured out of here, when we're raptured out of here, that the change should be a whole lot less than what it would have been. Does that make sense? Now, I understand what he meant. I mean, all of us still have a wicked, vile, sinful nature, but I get what he was saying is that we are more Christ-like, and so the change, if you will, from that point to the time we walk, to walk you know, see him in the air, isn't as big a change, if you will. <coughs> now, again, and I feel sorry for the poor guy because he's not here, this young man, Will, and you all would have been very encouraged to meet him. He obviously lived a pretty wicked life before he was saved. The poor guy comes to me and he's telling me an idea for his restaurant and having a dinner show, some of the dinner shows you go to. But then he explained to me his full idea of how he wants to have this dinner show. And I'm just kind of sitting there smiling like, so yeah, that's a growing to do, okay? <laughs> but the idea being this, you could see already he's not what he once was. He's growing. We should always take encouragement in seeing young Christians grow because it should remind us we're not there yet. Don't ever get the arrogant attitude of, I've arrived. Even though your GPS will tell you you have arrived, you have not arrived. Okay? 
We're not there yet. We're still pilgrims. We're still strangers. We're still passing through. We still have growing to do. Again, we are ambassadors. An ambassador has rules of dress, conduct, business, transaction, etc. We used to have a man attend this church who was on uh, MSG duty. That's not monosuda glutamate duty. That is Marine security guard duty. Okay, and he served in, I think he said, two embassies. One was Estonia and one was in Jerusalem, I think it was, he said. And he had some really, really nice suits. And he told me one day, he goes, yeah, these suits were left over from my embassy duty. Because while they were Marine security guard, they always didn't dress like Marines. Because you do realize um, sometimes you put on a... U.S. military uniform in some places, and you're, you become more of a target, okay? And also, they met a lot of dignitaries, and so they wanted them to be dressed inconspicuously many times, so they put them in suits. And he told me they had to learn, first of all, they had to dress a certain way. They had to learn certain protocols. They had to learn certain courtesies and everything else because they were now part of working with the ambassador of our country so they were now representing our country in the same way if you will that the ambassador was not to the same capacity but being part of the team they had to put on the same image if you will if we are citizens of heaven then why do we want to dress like the world? Why do we want to talk like the world? Why do we want our conduct to be the same as the world? I'm representing heaven. Then I should carry myself as a heavenly citizen. I should dress like a heavenly citizen. I should conduct myself in a manner worthy of heaven. My speech should reflect heavenly things. Correct? That's what he means by our whole conversation, our whole manner of life. Because we are, need to be reminded, we're just pilgrims and strangers. We're just ambassadors. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through, as the song says. Hold your place here in Philippians and flip back just a few pages to Ephesians chapter 2, if you would, please. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. But God, who is rich in mercy... For his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace he is saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're citizens of heaven, so don't become comfortable here. But remember, we have a message from our king. And our responsibility as ambassadors is to deliver that message to the world. We also see just another page over in Philippians chapter 4, or Ephesians chapter 4, rather. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There should be a unity. We're not to be contending with one another, but contending together. 
Now, I never used animals to work, but I've talked to some who have, and from my understanding, if you're going to plow a field and you're going to use a yoke of oxen, you're going to use two of them, you put two animals of the same kind of about equal strength under the yoke. So you don't take an ox and a mule and try to yoke them together. You know why? Because they're two different animals with two different strengths and two different builds and two different everything, and they don't work together. They're not going to pull together. Now, I'm not trying to relate us to animals, okay? But we need to be in the harness, if you will, with other Christians pulling together. Amos tells us, how can two walk together except they be agreed? Let's go to our last point, the conflict of the Christian. Verse 28, And nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evil, evident token of perdition, but to you the salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. The Philippians were probably experiencing persecution, perhaps from the Jews or the people of the city. Paul had suffered much at Philippi. And the conflict or struggle that a Christian will be, uh, the conflict or struggle is that a Christian will be persecuted while on earth. Paul was persecuted at Philippi, he says, which he saw in me and is now in prison and now hear of me. But the point is this. We should not be frightened by the enemy. Again, he says, and then nothing terrified. You know, I was talking with uh, one of the men there this week, and he was talking about his desire would be to, his dream job would be to train hunting dogs. Not my dream job, but it's his dream job. But as we were talking about dogs, if you're going to train a dog for hunting, a dog who is what we call gun-shy is worthless as a hunt, hunting dog. One who is, would be the word terrified with a gunshot that runs and spooks real easy, right? You know, that's not a very good hunting dog. Other animals are terrified. But that's the word that's used like when a horse gets spooked, right? It's going to start charging. It's going to run or whatever because it's spooked. Well, the Bible says, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries. In other words, don't get spooked by what the world says. Now, we live in a whole society that is so scared of dying, they're fearful of living. I know I've said that before, but it's so true. Matter of fact, now, as we were heading out there, my wife sent me something about, you know, now I guess the CDC is declaring the monkeypox a national crisis. But it was interesting. I didn't read the article she sent me, but I did read the headline. It said, but interestingly enough, most of the monkeypox cases are against the LGBT alphabet soup community. Kind of sounds like something that came around in the 80s, doesn't it? Called AIDS. But no, don't worry about it. It's not God's judgment on sin, right? That's what they keep telling us. But do be aware, there's going to be attacks in life. In case you didn't realize that, not everybody loves you as a Christian. And there's going to be those that want to persecute you. There are those that are going to fight against you. It's going to happen. But you and I need to have a courage and consistency in the face of persecution. But verse 29, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, 
but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Paul says, not only believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Do we consider it a privilege to be able to suffer for Christ? Now, I'm not saying we create the circumstances so we suffer and then say, oh, look at I'm just being martyred for Christ. No. But when those in the world persecute us, which, by the way, we really don't understand the true meaning of persecution as Americans, because somebody disagrees with you and yells at you is not true persecution. Although I do believe if we continue on the road we're in, on, we will see and understand what true persecution means. But, Christian, can you and I realize they hated my Savior, why should I expect any less? It is a privilege to be able to suffer for Him. Because I am His ambassador. I am here giving the message to the world. And I didn't expect the world to love the message that I have from my King. But if they're going to persecute me for giving the message from my King, it's still a privilege to serve my King. Amen? So Christian, with that thought, let's realize this world is not my home. Let's be content with what God has given us. You know, again, we sing the song, a tent or a cottage, why should I care? The tent, because I'm going to have an aching back. But the cottage is okay. But truthfully, Christian, let's take our eyes off the things of this world and let's focus on heaven because that is our home. And it is easy for every one of us to focus on this world. But all the gain you get in this world is corruptible. It is temporary. You're going to leave it all behind. We said for years you never saw a U-Haul behind a hearse. Somebody put a U-Haul trailer on the back of a hearse and took a picture of it just so they can ruin that. But I think it was photoshopped. I'm going with that, okay? I have no evidence it was a true picture. (laughs) The point being this. The Egyptians thought you could take all the stuff in the afterlife, but here we are, hundreds, sometimes thousands of years later, able to go to those graves, and guess what? The stuff's still there. Let's hold loosely the things of this world. And I promise you, what you need in this world, God will provide. I can say that with 100% assurance. You know why? I've lived it over and over and over and over again. I've had people come to me and say, I feel so sorry for you, especially when my family lived in the gym. You don't own a home. You don't have any money. You don't make any I feel so sorry for you. I'm like, don't feel sorry for me. Please stop feeling sorry for me. You know who I feel sorry for? The guy who gets up at six o'clock in the morning, works all day to nine o'clock at night, just so he can have things but he never has time to enjoy him, and he has a miserable marriage, and he has a miserable home, he has a miserable life, because he's living for things, and he's living for the world, and living for the pleasures of the world, and he just can't find it. Feel sorry for that individual, because the money's not buying him happiness, and he, he still refuses to see it. But there's true joy in serving my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because, as I've said many times, This is the worst it gets. It's all uphill from here. Amen?